Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Eddie Badrina, the CEO of Eating Green, an innovative vertical farming technology company. In this episode, we go through some of the work that Eating Green is doing, why Eddie decided to join the company as CEO, product market fit, and the value prop that Eating Green technology has, and the business model behind what they're doing at this company, the three stages of what Eating Green offers as a product and service, and then we go through more of how Eddie has gone about creating a culture at Eating Green, the job of a leader at a company, how they've navigated COVID-19, why they gave away thousands of pounds of produce in their local community, and really the future of vertical farming agriculture. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Eddie Badrina, the CEO of Eating Green. Eddie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about Eating Green with the technology you guys are creating, the things you guys are doing. Can you give us a little bit of an overview just to start off with for people who aren't familiar? Absolutely. So Eating Green is a technology company. Uh, that we have uh, have hardware and software that's designed to change the way that we farm food and feed people. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, in an acre and a half, which can be placed almost anywhere, uh, especially in urban areas, it's, it's very useful in urban areas, an acre and a half of our greenhouse with the technology inside of it will grow a little around eight to 900,000 pounds of leafy greens or fruits or herbs. Uh, to kind of give that into context, that's about 33 traditional farming acres shrunk down into an acre and a half. Jeez. Right. All located pretty much right next to you if you want it. That's incredible. And from that as well, I know you you joined in the end of, end of 2019, early 2020. I'm curious, why did you decide to join in the first place, Eddie? So uh, I had started another company uh, from scratch called BuzzShift. It's a digital strategy agency here in Dallas. And had started it in 2010, sold it in 2016, and then bought it back in 2017. Long story there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. not, not the subject for today, but, yeah. uh, but a great entrepreneur story. Been there, done that, uh, got the M&A t-shirt. Uh, but after that, <laughs> I have a chance to take a step back and think, man, how do I want to position myself and look for uh, impact and legacy on the second half of my career? So yeah. I'm, I'm 44, and many people before their 40s uh, look for success in a different way. Either it's money or whether it's a position, titles, power. But in the second half of uh, my career, I wanted to look for something that left a, la- a lasting legacy. Uh, not just for my name, uh, which at the end of the day doesn't really matter, but for my kids, for my grandkids, for my society and community around me. So uh, I had targeted three things that I was looking for. Uh, I wanted to be obviously be excellent in uh, running and owning BuzzShift with my business partner. But at the same time, I felt like in my heart, I was called to do something uh, even greater. So the three things that I was looking for were hardware and software. So I wanted to, I'd done professional services and I wanted to do a little something different. So uh, running or starting up a hardware software company. Uh, The second was 
I wanted to uh, make a cultural and social impact greater, uh, exponentially greater than my own level of effort. So I needed to find, I wanted to find a company that allowed me to leverage my skill sets uh, in a way that was exponential to my, my level of effort. And then the last thing I wanted to do was uh, to help build a unique company culture. Uh, we have a great culture at BuzzShift, and uh, I wanted to build something even uh, even better, even more unique in terms of the way that we care for our employees and care for the community around us. So those are my three sort of markers that I was looking for, and I just sat on it for the better part of a year, uh, and then Eden Green opportunity, the opportunity to, to lead this company came along and, and it was too good to pass up. Yeah, I love that. And I, I feature a number of companies that are really doing impactful things in the world. And those are ones I'm, I tend to be the most excited about because if you can combine business in terms of obviously you're making money and that's great as well, but then with doing actual good in the world, I think there's really nothing better than that in terms of having the combination. It seems like from people I've talked to previously as well, like it's just so much easier to to do the work. I mean, it's, yes, it's still work, but it's like, it's so much easier to do it in terms of understanding that the impact you're going to have through, through the work you're doing and incredibly motivating as well. With eating green, I, I'm curious as a, a number of things, but one being, how are you looking at which areas you're expanding to? Obviously you have this technology that you can, you can like ha help with other, uh, different, different industries, but like, how are you actually looking at where you're, you want this to have like happening essentially? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, for, for any founder, any entrepreneur, the first thing that you do is you look at product market fit, right? It's where does this, uh, does this product meet a need? Uh, what market does it meet the need in? And then what are the value props around it? Is that compelling enough then to go out and sell it? Or is it just a pipe dream? You know, a, a lot of, a, a lot of founders and, and entrepreneurs and people who want to be entrepreneurs, uh, they see a product, but they don't really think about the market fit. Uh, and so they, they have sort of self-selecting or incomplete uh, sample data to tell them that it's going to be an actual uh, ongoing profit-making company. So yeah. the, first thing, the first thing is just to identify product market fit. Uh, and so I had to identify that before I even jumped on board because otherwise it wouldn't have been a great venture for me to, to pursue. Uh, but the product market fit in Eden Green's case is is unmistakable, and uh, it's because. Uh, have you ever heard of the analogy of uh, of the Zune versus the iPod? Have you heard that? No, no. So uh, here's a. Uh, this goes to value props. Uh, so as you're identifying product market fit and you're looking at the market, you're looking at people and being customer centric. Uh, the the difference between uh, being customer centric and not is knowing value propositions versus uh, versus features. So, uh, you know, Bill Gates came out uh, with the Zune. I can't remember when it was probably in two thousand five, <laughs> right? Two thousand four. If you're yeah. old enough, you remember it. But uh, he yeah, basically <laughs> he, he basically came out and said, uh, "Here's an MP3 player." And uh, it holds 256 megabytes. Uh, the batteries last around uh, five to six hours. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's about two inches by six inches by an inch. And 
it just looked ugly. I mean, it was horrible. You, the UX <laughs> was bad, but those were the features. So I think in 2006 is when the iPod came out, maybe a little before, but Steve Jobs came out. So he wasn't even first to market, but Steve Jobs came out and he said, hey, here's, uh, here is the, the iPod. Uh, it holds 3,000 songs. Uh, it lasts all day long and it fits in your pocket. So you have your music right next to you. So that's benefits versus features. Steve yeah. Jobs called out the benefits and the value prop of what mattered to people. And Bill Gates called out the features. So when you, when I looked at eating green, the after, you know, while I'm doing product market fit, I'm thinking, okay, what are the value props? What are all the features? But then what are the value props to different possible uh, clientele? And so we identified value props from the same set of features. We identified three or four different value props uh, for uh, different, uh, different audiences. So retailers and distributors, wholesalers, anyone within the food uh, supply chain, that value chain, the, the, the value prop is that they could have an integrated uh, supply chain that's not interrupted. Uh, obviously with COVID, uh, that actually heightened the awareness for us uh, because people were looking for, they, they realized the food chain was broken, that it was fragile, that they couldn't get greens and produce uh, to the people in time, uh, especially in grocery stores. And, uh, and so there's just, and there still is, there still is a bottleneck and some inefficiencies in this fragile food supply chain. So for them, it was, you know, robust, resilient, uh, way to integrate your supply chain. Uh, so for uh, for universities, institutions, research institutions, uh, the value prop is is control. It's consistency and control. Yeah. Uh, and our greenhouses uh, and the technology is designed to control every variable uh, that you can possibly have in growing plants, so that they're only getting what you're wanting to them to get. But we do it in an efficient way because we're doing using a greenhouse and we're not using tons of artificial lighting. Uh, so that's the that's the second thing for universities and and research institutions is they can use, actually use natural sunlight but still control everything else. Uh, and then the last the last one is for governments, nation states, municipal authorities, cities that uh, and then nonprofits that just want to feed their people. Right. And, yeah. uh, and for them, the value prop is, uh, is accessibility because you can put it in an urban center or just right at the outskirts of a city or next to a strategic distribution point. Uh, and then, uh, and then resiliency, uh, because it's accessible and because it's in a greenhouse, it's impervious to, uh, wind, rain, sleet, snow. So it's season agnostic. Uh, and it's also, uh, very pest resistant uh, because it's in a greenhouse it's contained so all those value props come from the same set of features as this greenhouse they just have different audiences yeah and that's obviously so clear that you have you have that product market fit with this company and it is a huge value add to i mean a lot of different stakeholders then with that though with a lot of different ways you can go in terms of growth what has been your kind of customer acquisition strategy side of things as well with eating green so because it's such a nascent industry, uh, we've had to cast a wide net and get the feelers. And uh, within six months, we had found uh, what I think we ought to be focused on. So 
uh, there, it's a combination of obviously when you're running a startup, uh, you're really after, you know, cash is king, right? So cash flow, but then also balancing that with, hey, what are the future aspirations of, uh, of my company in terms of uh, either strategic partnerships, investment, uh, and then exit strategy? So what do my investors want? So, you know, you have to balance all of those things out depending on your situation. And, you know, from one entrepreneur to the next, those, those uh, things, those priorities will change. But what I can say is uh, always begin with the end in mind, right? Know what, know what you want, where you want to be in five years, whether that's positioning for an IPO, whether that's having a certain amount of cash flow, whether that's being profitable, uh, whether that's, uh, you know, being in certain markets. So those, those things beginning with the end in mind is really what has driven our focus on, you know, on these, uh, these markets and, in combination with where we're seeing the market take hold of this and where the idea uh, is spreading quicker than others uh, is in one in the retail space, but also in the government, uh, the regional and nation state type space. Yeah. And, and with that as well, just taking a step back for a second, what is kind of the, the business, business model behind eating green as well? So the business model is to sell the technology. So we want to be the sales force of produce. And, and I, I say it because one, uh, Benioff's biography and just how he built Salesforce <laughs> is amazing. If you haven't had a chance to read it, great book. Uh, but you know, the, the, to jump off of that Salesforce never wanted to be in the professional services game and they still aren't right. What they've done is they've built a platform, which a number of consultants and developers and whomever can plug into it. And they don't really care at the end of the day, what you do with Salesforce. Uh, and we've seen it, you know, nonprofits use it for donor management. Sales teams obviously use it for, uh, for CRM, but then there's been a, a variety of other use cases for Salesforce, but at the end of the day, it's just a platform. And in, in our case, uh, at the end of the day, ours is just a, it's a food growing platform. So if you want to use it for lettuce and uh, providing, you know, just the basic foodstuffs to your people, go for it. If you want to use it for research and development for uh, bio or for, um, you know, for uh, pharmaceutical, man, or for university to teach your students, knock yourself out, right? Uh, and if you want to use it for hemp or medical marijuana, uh, and you, because it's so consistent and so controllable, great. At the end of the day, we just want you to use our technology. So it's a technology company that sells hardware, patented hardware and proprietary software to help you grow the plants that you want to grow. And to that point then, Eddie, can you take us through a little bit more of just what the, the, the product is, what it consists of? I know it's obviously hardware and software, which is uh, a combination of things, but can you take us through a little bit more in terms of what it actually is? What are people getting with, with this when they you know put one of these 1.5 acre uh, things as well to, to use? Sure. So there are three stages of uh, what we do uh, in our business model. The first is we help construct the greenhouses. Uh, these can be put the the technology. They're they're eighteen foot vertical vertical towers, and they each have thirty six plant spots in them. If you multiply that out, 
uh, in an acre and a half and the way that we spread them out, they're around 281,000 plant spots in an Jeez. acre and a half. And it's a ver- it's a perpetual harvest. So in our greenhouses, you're harvesting every day uh, because you can plant, uh, cycle it for 28 days, clean it out, plant all over again, right? Harvest, clean out, plant all over again. So yeah. uh, folks in, in these greenhouses are harvesting every day and every week. Uh, so, you know, to construct a greenhouse around it and then to set up the towers is the first piece. Uh, the second piece is then to manage uh, these greenhouses are so cutting edge and so new uh, that uh, they need, you know, folks who are running these need help for the first couple of years. Uh, so we help them manage, we help them hire and train staff. Uh, and I think that's also one of the great things, one of the great value props about eating green as opposed to a lot of other competitors is that our whole goal is for you to run and operate this economic unit of a greenhouse. That means uh, investors, uh, entrepreneurs can buy one of these things and employ up to 30 people full-time, living day's wage with health and benefits. It's all included in the OPEX. Uh, grow these, uh, grow this produce and then sell it either under your own brand, uh, white-labeled, uh, wholesale, uh, and be able to provide uh, just an economic engine sitting in your own community. Uh, so there's a there's a management piece to that that we help them train and manage, hire uh, staff to to then embark on this career of urban agriculture and of uh, controlled environment agriculture. And then the last piece is obviously the technology itself, and we uh, get a licensing techno a technology licensing fee from that. Uh, for just the value of uh, the towers and the software system, the monitoring system, as well as any innovations, any upgrades that come along uh, during that time. And, and with this as well, in the last you know year or so that you've you've been at the company, I mean, what has been the majority of your time in terms of tasks that you've been you've been working on as you've been growing this company because obviously you didn't found the company, but you came in as CEO. What have been, what's most of your time spent on these days, Eddie? So I think, you know, first when I got in, the technology uh, had been perfected, but they really struggled to get a cogent, uh, doable uh, business model in place. Uh, but then as you and I, and so many of your listeners know, creating a business plan and creating that business model is totally different than actually executing on it. So uh, after I had, you know, uh, finalized the business model and really gotten something that I think would have, would work, then I had to go about setting uh, the culture and the tone for the business. Uh, just like in, in, I'm a big sports guy. I don't know about you, but I'm a big sports guy. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, in, you know, in the NBA, for instance, there are, the teams are all basically the same, but the cultures within the teams are what defines their success. So uh, for, you know, for business owners, for entrepreneurs, for founders, uh, I think people underestimate, a lot of founders underestimate the culture that's being produced because they're so focused on the product. Not that the product isn't important. The product makes you money, but the culture is the company. So, I spent quite a bit of time uh, re-energizing and reforming the culture in Eden Green, uh, setting out 
setting out values that we practice and we preach every day and that are uh, that out of which flow our business practices out of which flow our operations, you know, commitment to excellence, not cutting corners, always being innovative and creative, never settling for less. So just basically creating a championship mentality in the company. Uh, and then, you know, from a, from a hiring and a personnel perspective, uh, making sure we had the right people on the bus in the right seats. Uh, and I think those are, those are all important facets to note about uh, team building and about culture. You can have the wrong people on the bus, which then, you know, you, the, the mantra of uh, hire slowly and fire quickly really comes into play. Yeah. But you can have the right people on the bus, but just in the wrong seats. Right. And so uh, there's a, there's, there's, take some time to figure out whether you have the right people on the bus and then whether you have them on the right seats. I just happened to come into a company where they said, all right, you're the bus driver. And I had to assess and really, you know, take some time to figure out uh, who was on the bus and whether they're in the right seats. So after I got that figured out and, you know, it took the better part, especially with COVID uh, things uh, in some senses uh, came to a halt, but in other senses, uh, we really had a heightened awareness of who we were and of what we provided. So I had to, you know, it was, it was chaos, you know, to be super honest. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think what came out was uh, we have all the right people on the bus now and it is uh, and all the cylinders are firing. So uh, I would say that's what I spend the most amount of my time on is, uh, is really people is making sure that, uh, the right people are there, making sure that they have expectations for success. Uh, so, you know, whether they're OKRs, uh, objectives and key results on OKRs and then KPIs, but then also getting down past those metrics and those, uh, making sure that they're all aligned with uh, the God metrics in the company, uh, whether they're, you know, operational or sales driven. But then uh, after that, really making sure they have what they need to succeed. So I was taught a long time ago that the job of a leader is to remove obstacles uh, from people's way while leading them to where you want them to go. So I spend half my time casting vision to them on, on very practical levels uh, and then reminding them of why, why they're doing what they're doing is related to the larger mission of the company. But then the other half is just removing obstacles to growth. Uh, those could be sales obstacles. So, you know, that could be a, a sales type conversation with a client or with my sales director about, uh, you know, uh, arguments uh, for and against uh, our product versus others. Uh, and then, you know, trying to get past those, get through those negotiations to a close. Uh, but then the obstacles could also be, uh, you know, Eddie, I, and, I've empowered all of my staff to say, Hey, I need this to be successful. And then let's talk through that. Right. I never want, uh, I never want my, my team, uh, whether it's an assistant grower all the way up to my CFO to be afraid to come to me and say, Hey, Eddie, I really, can we talk through, can we have an open conversation about why this thing needs to happen or why I need this tool? Right, and then uh, come to me with some solutions to that problem, uh, yeah. and then let's talk through maybe you know uh, 
maybe there's a third solution. So uh, everyone knows, but in both companies, in both BuzzShift and Eden Green, that don't come to Eddie with problems. Come to Eddie with a problem <laughs> and two solutions, and he'll either agree with one of those two, or he'll he'll help and they'll walk he'll walk you through to find a third. So that that's that's what I spend most of my time doing now is just getting roadblocks and talking through roadblocks in people's way uh, that are hindering their growth. You mentioned the difficult times during COVID. How did you get through get through that? How did you think through? Okay, what are we going to do with the situation? I'm curious about that, Eddie. So, you know, my my previous life, I was in government, and uh, I was an analyst. Uh, at the State Department for the Middle East, and then I worked in the White House. And one of the things that you had to do and what makes a good leader is to be able to juggle both looking far into the future uh, and looking at trends and then getting getting back down into the weeds and making it applicable. The folks who only see far into the future end up being, they're, they're great strategists or consultants, but they're never going to be able to lead. Uh, and the folks that stay down in the weeds will always stay down in the weeds. Maybe they may become subject matter experts, uh, but they won't be able to lead an organization or lead their team. So the ability to toggle between those two views is absolutely crucial. So I would say in March when this was first popping up, uh, because I had been trained by uh, older and wiser mentors uh, to, to look up every now and then, what I saw was uh, that you know, the pandemic was going to reach the U.S. shores, but that uh, when it did, there was going to be some serious um, consequences to the food supply chain. So I knew there were also going to be serious consequences to our business because investors would probably freeze up during the volatility. Yeah. Uh, but so then, you know, the, the stoic, there's a stoicism philosophy in me that's always looking at the opportunity the obstacle is the opportunity knowing that it was going to freeze up a little bit on the investment front uh, but then also there's going to be a, a, a problem with the supply chain meant what can i do with the things that i have now and the thing that i had now was i had a great marketing director that had just come on board so i told her and she was all for it but i said hey let's this is the time to ramp up all of our marketing efforts. When everyone else is getting softer and kind of chaotic, let's come out with a really, really clear set of messages about who we are and our value props. And let's just start hitting them, uh, yeah. hitting all the, all of a potential clients. So uh, you, you would, if you looked at our books, you would probably notice actually during March, April, May, June, we started to ramp up marketing big time. Uh, in terms of media spend and in terms of spend on content creation. Uh, and that's, you know, that's just a, it's a contrarian po point of view of saying, hey, when everyone else is getting quieter, let's get louder. Uh, the second thing was, is we had an R&D facility in, uh, right outside of Fort Worth that uh, we, uh, we had, which was just that, it was R&D, it was research. And so I told them, hey guys, let's, uh, let us, turn all the spigots on. Let's take this thing to full max capacity. Uh, even if we don't have case studies that we're growing for, which we, we have a number of trials and case studies that we're always growing for. But I said, let's turn this up to max capacity and 
let's start to grow food that people need here in the city yeah. uh, and we'll give it away. Right. And so then the third piece of that was uh, looking at entrepreneurs around us and our team came up with this great idea of there's an, there's a micro farm uh, outside of Dallas called profound foods. His name's Jeff Bednar who runs it. Jeff is an amazing individual, uh, but he ran this little, um, this, this farm, this, that supplied all the high-end poultry and meats and produce uh, to high-end restaurants. Well, when the food service industry ground to a halt, he shifted from supplying restaurants to doing home delivery. Uh, so, uh, and in and around his, his neighborhood and his community, and, and he's been really successful, but he pivoted almost overnight to that because he knew the needs uh, of the community were going to change and no one's going to restaurants. So we were already supplying him uh, just out of our R&D greenhouse because he loves our greens. And we said, hey, Jeff, why don't we do this? Why don't we, as you sign up new customers for your home delivery, uh, for every person you sign up and every pound of produce that you sell, we'll give a pound away in your name uh, to uh, local nonprofits of your choice. And so we quickly did this, created this one-for-one model with him uh, that you know that helped him uh, really grow his business while still selling him produce. Uh, but then we're able to give away, I think to date, in the last six months, we've given away 21,000 pounds of produce uh, to wow. about 15 different organizations here around the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. So I, it's a long way of answering, hey, <laughs> how do you take advantage? Well, the the obstacle is the opportunity. And to solve for that, we looked both inside ourselves, right? What were we doing that we can do more of, which is marketing. But then we also looked outside and say, hey, how can we help the people around us and then leverage that, not just to give away food, which is amazing, but how can we help other small business owners uh, do their thing? And so that's where the, the Profound Foods one-for-one uh, -one model was born. I think that's great. And I think it's it's a great way to look at kind of navigating those those instances because every single business out there is going to go through hard times, going to go through struggles, regardless of if it's a global pandemic or something else. And it's like, how did you navigate those situations? And I'm also a very big fan of stoicism and have read, uh, I think, most of Ryan Holiday's books on stoicism. I read The Daily Stoic every day. I think it's helpful to have those perspectives around that as you're navigating different situations in your business. And one of the things I'm really curious about just with, with inherently what you're doing at, at Eating Green is what do you think is kind of the future of vertical farming technology and kind of uh, the food system more broadly as well? Like, what do you think is the future? What's kind of next, Eddie? So first, uh, shout out to Ryan Holiday. Uh, his, <laughs> his stuff is absolutely fantastic. I follow him yeah. as well uh, and have read a number of his books. Uh, so uh, I, I think for for every entrepreneur uh, and founder, I think the elements of the stoicism, the stoicism uh, philosophy and the way that Ryan uh, distills that, I think are very useful in how you run your business and how you operate your own life, right? Uh, but yeah. as to the future of vertical farming and of Eden Green, uh, vertical farming is going to become... Uh, a key aspect it's not going to be a silver bullet but it will become a key aspect of how we feed our people 
Uh, and it's simply because uh, COVID has accelerated every trend that out, that's that's out there. It didn't it didn't invent any new trends per se. It just accelerated and catalyzed all the trends. And one of those trends is uh, just the accessibility of food and uh, the consistency of food. And, and that's just because of consumer demand, right? The population is growing. Uh, there is more need for nutritious food and uh, farms. It's just outstripping the supply chain as well as the farming community of what they're able to supply on a as needed basis. So when you took, you look at those larger trends of uh, rising consumer uh, consumer, just quantity as well as a demand for more quality and more nutrition. Uh, and then y- you get an unsolvable problem so to speak, that's really only solved through things like vertical farming and controlled environment uh, agriculture. So we think we're on the cutting edge of that. And I think, you know, from a value proposition, what we're trying to instill and what we're trying to redefine is what it means to be locally grown. So pre-COVID, locally grown, and, and, you know, in in LA for y'all, y'all probably have some great farmer's markets there. (laughs) Of course, uh, but yeah, er- everyone does. But a farmer's market is uh, marked by uh, inconsistency. It's marked by uh, seasonality, and then honestly, it's marked by uh, just a uh, an attraction to a subset of the market. We're not going to see a lot of middle or lower income people walking through a farmer's market on a Saturday morning. Uh, only because the farmer's markets experience that we do have is made for a different set of people, right? Uh, it's more of an experience uh, than anything else. And you, you, uh, they're all nice to have. It's like, yeah, I go get my eggs and some, some meat at the farmer's market. Uh, but, but the produce, like it's, you kind of get what you can take uh, or you take what you yeah. can get out there. Uh, so there's just some inconsistency and uh, it's not accessible or scalable. Same with community gardens. Uh, we all have community gardens around us, but they don't feed people at scale. Uh, they're really they're really meant for a smaller, tight, tight radius of people. So then what you end up having is uh, you end up having uh, locally grown is more qualitative, defined as more qualitative and inconsistent. Post-COVID now, locally grown, uh, we are trying to define it in a totally different way that meets the needs of a growing market. So we think locally grown means consistent. Uh, We think it means season agnostic. Uh, Good luck telling my wife uh, that she can't have strawberries 12 months out of the year or my kids, (laughs) right? That's a non-starter. So consistency is is key and consistency not just in strawberries but in like your your basic foodstuffs of lettuce kale arugula spinach uh, all of those things herbs basil people want those year round Uh, so uh, locally grown can solve that but it can only solve that if it's accessible so that's the second piece so consistent and accessible and so accessible really means uh, you know it, can it be just 40 miles from you? Can it be four miles from you? Can it be four yards from you, right? The closer it is, yeah. the more accessible and affordable it becomes. Uh, and then you're able to reach that other set of socioeconomic uh, the demographic 
that before wouldn't be able to afford a farmer's market or even be able to walk out there on a Saturday because they're working, honestly. So uh, accessible, consistent, and the last one is safe. Uh, we've seen in, in COVID just a rise in uh, bacterial outbreaks, either it's E. coli or salmonella. Uh, and, uh, and it's because the food industry uh, by far and large are cutting corners uh, because there are certain bottlenecks in the food supply chain, they're cutting corners to get through those bottlenecks quicker. And one of those is packaging and handling and safety. So uh, we have a culture of food safety at Eden Green, and uh, it's just one another one of our core values. And uh, I think all three of those, accessibility, consistency, and safety, uh, we're trying to, we're saying, hey, these all three can happen at the same time and they happen uh, and they benefit the consumer in ways that uh, they all, they maybe they can't even verbalize, but at the, at the end of the day, they want all three of those at the same time. And we can do it because our greenhouses can be located literally next door uh, to a community. And if you build them in opportunity zones, um, then, then they're being strategically placed uh, for financial reasons, but also for community reasons uh, in the places where people need them the most. One of the things, Eddie, that you mentioned earlier that I wanted to come back to real quick, it's just on the, on the funding side of things, you had talked about how, you know, it's going to be trickier with, with COVID and everything in terms of funding. Uh, has that been something you spent much time on in the last year since you, you joined? I know you mentioned the people side was a big part of it, but the funding side for, you know, eating green is a you know startup of sorts. Like how, how has that gone or what's uh What's been your focus on that side of things? So fortunately, we have some really, really good capital partners, uh, and it's uh, and it's fully funded for the foreseeable future. Uh, so uh, really, now that has afforded me the opportunity to focus on uh, on cash flow and on profitability, uh, and not so much worrying about chasing dollars uh, in terms of funding. So very, very fortunate to have that. But, you know, you're always in fundraising mode, right? So I would say, you know, to that end, we are always looking for strategic investors. Uh, but those strategic investors, uh, I believe, are the same. I mean, they're all consumers as well. So uh, we're focused on getting the value props to those three different audiences, four different audiences out there. and then And then also knowing that the same folks who are listening to that from a value prop from an in industry perspective might be our greatest strategic partners down the road. Uh, so that's how I'm, you know, that's how I view fundraising and uh, investor relations is uh, at the end of the day, they're eating greens too. They probably have families too, right? Their, their husbands, wives, partners are, are thinking about the same things about their own health and about where they're getting their food. Uh, so my, my, pitch to investor relations is no different than my pitch to any of our three or four uh, types of clientele. Eddie, I know we, we talked about a couple of different books already. You mentioned like Mark Benioff, and then you also mentioned with, with the Stoicism books as well. But have there been any other books that have been impactful, uh, or whether it be business or even personal in your life? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would say uh, the overall focus of uh, how I run the business is uh, derived from uh, some friends up in New York City called Praxis Labs. 
and Praxis Labs really focuses on uh, on uh, evangelizing, if you will, a, a redemptive way of building organizations. And so here's what I mean by a redemptive framework uh, and what Praxis Labs means by redemptive framework. So the first is uh, most, most companies are exploitative. And when I, what I mean by that is that they, they treat their employees uh, unfairly. They are uh, the leaders eat first, if you will. Uh, and then, and then they're a net negative to the community around them. That, those are exploitative companies and we, we've, we've all seen them. Uh, there are a few companies that are ethical and ethical companies are ones where uh, they treat the employees fairly. The leaders eat alongside the employees. Uh, they share uh, in, you know, in the in the profits and in the losses. But then also, uh, they're a net neutral to the community around them, or maybe they're in slightly positive. Uh, and those ones are are most most of the you know top companies that you see their most admired companies or Inc or anywhere else. Those are usually very ethical companies. Uh, Praxis, and, and, and I'm a believer of it, uh, is promoting a redemptive company. And redemptive companies are where leaders eat last. Uh, they exemplify and they operate under sacrificial servant leadership. Uh, they treat their employees generously and bless them. And then the last is that they're a positive impact on the community around them. And, you know, to build a company that is intrinsically positive, not, not that it's not, not that it's bad to give off of the bottom line, but if you can impact a community positively as a part of your business model, that's a truly special organization. And so uh, that practice, Praxis Labs redemptive framework uh, and some of the some of the writings that they've had on that uh, have been very influential in the way that uh, I operate all my businesses. I would say an, another uh, another book, which is totally sales focused, it's just such a departure, is Chris Foss's. Oh man, it's a it's the it's one of his best negotiation books ever. Uh, let me think of the name here in a second. But Chris Voss uh, used to be an FBI negotiator, uh, and he has this great. Uh, view on negotiations because uh, so never split the difference is the name of the book and it's probably been the most useful negotiation and sales book I have ever read in my life uh, and I refer back to that quite often uh, and then the last is you know um, is some some of Ryan Holiday's books have been really great on stoicism oh and the last one I would play is Ray Dalio's principles Ah, yeah. <laughs> that is, man, what a masterclass in a book that is. Uh, I have that thing bookmarked sideways up and down. Uh, and it's so great the way that he even has organized it and put all of the, you know, titles and subtitles uh, up front. Man, that's a great book. Yeah, it, it definitely is. It, it's uh, one of those ones that you go back to again and again, I actually was able to see him speak at summit in downtown Los Angeles. And it's just, so many of his ideas are, uh, they're, they're so well thought out. And obviously he's been very incredibly successful with Bridgewater. Um, and there's so much to learn from, from him and how he's run his business and thinking a little bit differently as well in terms of things he's done. And I think there's a lot to learn from him as well. And one thing I just want to ask, one of the last things I'm curious about is just how do you re recharge outside of work, Eddie? So, 
I, uh, two things. One is I fly fish and, uh, and that just provides, if I'm able to get out in nature on the water unplugged, uh, that really just benefits my soul. Uh, and then the second is, uh, meditation. So, uh, I have a, I have a regimen throughout the day that I follow on, uh, follow on a daily basis. And a big part of that is meditation. And then it's kind of interesting, but, uh, stretching and mobility. Uh, and, and I think as I, uh, we sit down so much during the day and yeah. we don't notice how much our body really affects, uh, our mental state. So exercise, uh, obviously is one people, it's interesting. People have a hard time with exercise and staying fit and eating well, uh, and even meditating, but it's really because they don't have, they don't know why the, the, their, their, why their motivation uh, or their motive isn't there. And so I think that's why people struggle with that. As soon as you latch onto he's here is the long-term effects and here's why I want to do this then it all becomes very, very clear on what you need to do. Everyone can be motivated. They just have to figure out their why. And so the why for me really is, uh, at the end of the day, is uh, I want to leave a lasting legacy for my kids uh, and for my my grandkids uh, and who are just a twinkle in my eye right now, my older <laughs> 16. Uh, but I'm thinking that far ahead. Uh, I want to leave a lasting legacy of public service and I want to leave a lasting legacy of, um, of contribution to society and creation, uh, wealth creation building. And I can only do that uh, if I can make it that long, right? And so, yeah. so if I'm going to make it to say, you know, 80, 85, 90 and be in good health. Uh, and so for the next 40 or 50 years of my life, I have to be in great health in order to pull that all off. Then I then my health right now, it starts with my health right now. So that's the motivation for when I get up every day. It's like, man, I, one day I want to be able to get on the ground and play with my grandkids. I can't do that if I'm not mobile. And so I've just yeah. got to stretch and stay mobile every day. Uh, but then if I want to build, uh, if I want to build and create wealth, I've got to have mental acuity and my mental acuity can't happen if I don't recharge. So that's why I need meditation. That's why I need to, at least for me, uh, being a man of faith, that's why I need to be uh, reading uh, reading the Bible and reading scriptures every day. Uh, and then, you know, from a, uh, from a, uh, just a mental space to be able to lead my team here and now, uh, I've got to have that mental space. And so that requires recharging. And so that's why I go fly fish. And that's why sometimes I, I try to hit, I try to hit golf balls, not as much as I want to, but uh, yeah. de definitely uh, unplugging and getting into nature. I do that because it's the best thing for my head, for my brain, uh, brain health. Yeah, absolutely needed. And everyone has a different way of going about that and finding whatever works for you, I think is always the best thing to do. And it's it just making the time for that because it, it is the long game. I mean, you're playing the long game with this. And if you want to last a while, you need to recharge and kind of step away from time to time. And Eddie, where can people go to learn more about Eden Green and connect with you as well? So it's just at edengreen.com. So E-D-E-N green.com. Uh, I think social handles, we're all on Eden Green Tech. Uh, so at Eden Green Tech, T-C-H. Uh, and then uh, 
for for me personally, uh, LinkedIn is a great way, uh, and then Badrina.com. I was I was fortunate early early on in the days <laughs> of the interwebs to yeah. uh, secure Badrina.com uh, for for ninety nine years. So that's really <laughs> that's, <amazing. laughs> that's amazing. I actually got my 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 full name, Justin Gordon, but I had to pay for it. So yeah. uh, I, it was a cheap, well, relatively cheap enough thing to pay for. But yeah, to get your own domain is like if, it's a goal. If you're I playing want the, the long internet. game, if you're playing exactly. the long game, it's it's cheap. It's totally worth it when you think about all the future things. Like yeah, I want to own that, so I have that as well. But Eddie, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you so much, Justin. I really, really appreciate it. It's such a pleasure being on here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.